This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, November 12th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. The Daily Signal team took Thursday off to commemorate Veterans Day, so we don't have any headlines to share with you today. However, please enjoy this interview from Christian Mizelwick as he speaks with the Heritage Foundation's Peter Brooks on China's recent hypersonic missile launch. This is Christian Mislowick, and our guest today is Peter Brooks, the Heritage Foundation's Senior Research Fellow for Weapons of Mass Destruction and Counterproliferation. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. Good to be with you. You recently published an article in the Daily Signal about how China tested a new hypersonic weapon over the summer. Yeah. Now, I'd like to talk more about what hypersonic weapons are and how they work, but before we get to that... What do these tests mean for the U.S.? What is the potential impact on America and other countries? Well, it's not good news. Uh, this, uh, this, this new weapon um, is, uh, is troubling, and it's more than just a hypersonic weapon. It's also what the Chinese call a fractional orbital bombardment system, mm. um, but we can get more into that later on. Uh, but, yeah, this, this, this challenges our, our interests, and it's part of the China's recent increase in the capabilities of their strategic forces. Uh, this is a st- strategic weapon. The, the warhead that it carries could be conventional or uh, strategic, um, a nuclear weapon. And they've also, as, as, we've, as I've written in the Daily Signal recently, uh, talked about um, how they're increasing their land-based uh, cap- nuclear capabilities as well, as well as that, that at sea. They also have an at-sea deterrent. So this is not good news considering the tensions between China and the United States right now. Um, and it certainly gives uh, China more a leverage uh, internationally um, with its agenda, which doesn't necessarily comport with that of the United States or, or our friends and allies. Right. Now, what is the potential range and how much damage can this weapon inflict? Well, as I mentioned, it has unlimited range because basically what the Chinese are doing with this weapon, once again, this long term, this fractional orbital bombardment system, Mm -hmm. is they're launching a a hypersonic glide vehicle on a space launch vehicle. So picture this in your mind. It's going to piggyback on the space launch vehicle into low Earth orbit, and then it will circle the globe, uh, and then the hypersonic glide vehicle will detach from what some people call the mothership Mm -hmm. for the space launch vehicle, and then find its way to its target. So Essentially, because you're putting it into orbit, it has unlimited range. And interestingly enough, it can also, most of the in the Northern Hemisphere, the most common approach for weapons delivery to the United States, towards the United States, would probably come over the North Pole, uh, Russia, China. This weapon, because of its unlimited range, could be flown over the South Pole towards the United States. Which would which would give it um, you know certain capabilities um, that um, we we would be difficult to defend against because we really for years and years going back to the Cold War mm-hmm. have developed our radar capabilities looking towards things coming over the North Pole or from the east and west and not from the south. Right. So General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he referred to this as very close to a Sputnik moment. So what do you think of that assessment? Uh, it's very striking, um, coming from the senior military advisor to the president of the United States. I wouldn't have put it necessarily 
in that category, but mm-hmm. it's reasonable to say so. Uh, this is a new type of weapon uh, that the Chinese are developing to advance their agenda. And uh, and some of that, like I said, goes up against the, the desires of, of the United States. Um, it's extremely difficult to defend against. It's just, in fact, as a matter of fact, it's extremely difficult to uh, acquire with the sensors and to and to track. And um, I'd love to hear what the the chairman has to say as to why he said that. But it, it's being said by a lot of our military senior military members talking about this as a strategic breakout. Now, of course, China has tested this weapon. It supposedly tested it twice this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that there uh, there are going to be more tests. It has not yet been deployed. Um, and we'll have to see how um, how many of them are deployed, uh, if they're deployed, and then how many uh, to see what the real the real threat is. Now, going back to Sputnik in 1957, that was the beginning of the ICBM age, mm-hmm. the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Age. And because the Soviets were able to put Sputnik into orbit, send it around the Earth, meant that they could reach any place on the Earth's uh, surface with a with a rocket. Um, and they eventually developed that capability, and so did the United States. And we were just slightly be, slightly behind them, but they did develop that capability uh, first. So in this case, uh, the United States does not have a, a similar weapon. Uh, and for many years, we were actually involved in the development of hypersonic weapons until sequestration in 2014, uh, which cut the defense budgets, and, and hypersonic weapon research and development was um, was dropped. Um, so we're we're a bit behind. It uh, doesn't mean that we can't develop this capability if we decide we need it, um, but we'll have to see if the Chinese do deploy it, if it's successful. I mean, remember, a lot of weapon systems are tested and never put into never put into a deployment or into operational status, uh, and then how many of them uh, they will um, they deploy. Right. So there, there are still a lot of questions, but it is very striking when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, the chairman or the uh, commander of Strategic Command, and others, uh, you know, make these very, very strong comments because they have access to information that you and I don't. Hopefully, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's important that to understand that they have uh, different assessments, different information, different intelligence at their fingertips that they can make those judgments and those statements based upon. Um, so it is it is very striking and it is very concerning, and I look forward to hearing. Uh, more uh, about it and why he chose those words specifically. Right. So you mentioned that two tests were conducted during the summer. Now, Beijing has denied that it was testing a weapon, like you said, that sure. it's put into low orbit through a um, another spacecraft, that, and then it would detach from that, that craft to sure. reach its target. So they said that they were just launching a reusable space vehicle, like those used by right. SpaceX. Is that right? Yeah, that's what they're saying, and there's no surprise there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese are not known for their transparency, uh, especially in nuclear issues. In fact, the United States has been trying to talk to China about nuclear issues for a long, long time, uh, including back when I was in the Pentagon during the, the Bush administration. Uh, the Chinese didn't really want to talk about it. It's still a problem. Uh, the difference now between now and 20 years ago is that the Chinese have made great strides in their nuclear uh, capabilities. Uh, they've sent submarines to sea, so that means they have an at-sea deterrent. It's it's a small at-sea deterrent, but still, uh, you know, it's something that they're the direction they're moving in. Uh, they also have um, they are developing nuclear bombers. That was not really something that they were really interested in. Uh, they're using some older Badger bombers from the 
from the Soviet from the Soviet era, and they're also developing a new uh, bomber as well that will probably carry a nuclear weapon. And then, of course, their land-based capability is growing significantly. In fact, um, our senior military leaders say that their land-based nuclear capability will increase by um, three to four times um, over the next decade. So they're putting a tremendous emphasis on their nuclear capability. In fact, just a few years ago, they elevated their strategic rocket forces, which is the force that uh, deals with um, nuclear weapons, to its own individual service. You know, as we recently did with Space Force, we made it its own individual service. Mm -hmm. The Chinese did this with their strategic rocket forces, um, which shows the priority and emphasis that they are placing on uh, strategic strategic weapons. So a lot of things to be concerned about. Um, this one is very interesting, obviously, because of the, the new technologies uh, we're seeing. And, you know, the Chinese think they can get away with saying that this is just a reusable space vehicle. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we know better. And at some point, this warhead or this glide vehicle, um, this hypersonic glide vehicle, um, could carry a conventional warhead, a nuclear warhead, or just use its tremendously high speed. I mean, this, uh, anything to be considered hypersonic will travel more than five Mach, five times the sp uh, speed of sound. Um, you know, which is, a, and, and this is, we're talking about five Mach is about one mile per second, a very, very high speed. But because of the kinetic energy behind something that travels that fast, it can actually just use its um, vehicle, the hypersonic glide vehicle, as a weapon uh, and uh, attack a target just using that kinetic energy. Right, right. So we use the term hypersonic glide vehicle, like we say vehicle, right. but the thing itself acts like a missile, right? It's going on a, a one-way trip. I would say it's more, it acts more like a plane because it's maneuverable. Oh. That's another thing. Yeah. I mean, so what happens is, is once again, I mean, this is hard to do on a podcast without the, without graphics. And I would recommend that people take a look on the internet to see what I'm talking about, but it will be launched on the space launch vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it will go into low earth orbit. And at some point, depending on the target, the hypersonic glide vehicle will separate from the space launch vehicle and go on its own way. Um, and it may travel further or shorter, and then it will deorbit. It will come out of low Earth orbit at great speed, and it can maneuver its way to a target, which makes it very difficult to defend against because it's going so fast and it's maneuverable. Um, if it were just coming out of space and just dropping out of space, um, and had a predicted, uh, you know, predictable trajectory, it would be much easier uh, to defend against. So the maneuverability is something, it's almost like an airplane uh, that is, would be carrying a, some, sort of, some sort of warhead uh, towards its target, and that, but it's unmanned in this case. The United States, what does it need to do to develop some sort of defense against this, or any nation? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you're right, and it may not just be the United States, but I think the United States, considering the competition, the great power competition going on between the United States and China and Russia, uh, is, the, is the prime target here of, mm -hmm. of this. I mean, the Chinese and the United States have different interests on a number of important issues, including the issue of Taiwan. Um, the Chinese feel that the United States currently outguns China in, in terms of nuclear weapons. So does Russia. And I think my sense is that China wants to reach parity or near parity with the United States and Russia. So it can sit at the table with these the most powerful nuclear states in the world and have their say. 
China is extremely assertive today, especially in its international its international relations. I mentioned uh, Taiwan. There's also the issue of the South China Sea, which is a million square miles of, of ocean that China considers to be basically a Chinese lake. They say this is indisputable Chinese sovereign territory. Um, and at some point, as they develop their navy, they may train their air force, they, and which is happening. It is developing at a tremendous rate. Um, they may try to exercise sovereignty and control over that massive water, which carries trillions of dollars of, uh, of commerce every year. So the Chinese are, you know, involved in this program to increase the, their, their capabilities, certainly militarily, which provide leverage and backing to their. Uh, diplomatic diplomatic efforts. But in terms of responses, I mean, you know, obviously we have to have, you know, strong diplomacy. We have to have a, a strong uh, footing and working in the world and work with our allies. Um, you know, China, like I said, we are probably the primary target, but uh, Japan uh, also has historic issues with, with China. Uh, you know, there's Russia and China are currently working together a lot, but I don't see them as natural allies. Mm. Um, and I think someday they may go in a different direction. And in the past, they have. Remember, during the Cold War, the Sino-Soviet split. Uh, you know, we, in 1972, Nixon went to Beijing to open relations and uh, played the China card against the, against the Soviet Union. So at some point, I think right now, the Chinese and the Russians are playing each other's cards against the United States as they work together. But they're not natural allies. And I think there will frictions will evolve over time. Um, but, you know, you have we, the United States uh, should be working with allies on these on these issues. And that includes not just in Asia, but also in, in Europe. Um, you know, there's tremendous capabilities in Europe to try to find ways to deal with these new and evolving weapons. Of course, as you know, we just published the index of military uh, strength and, um, you know, increasing conventional deterrence is critically important, recapitalizing our military, um, because if you don't. If you can prevent yourself, if you can deter somebody conventionally and prevent yourself from getting to uh, the level of uh, nuclear uh, gamesmanship, brinksmanship, you're in a much better place. So conventional deterrence is critically important. That means our regular forces, not our nuclear forces. But we also need to press ahead with our nuclear modernization. And uh, our colleague, uh, Patty Jane Geller, has written extensively about that. Uh, we need to modernize these nuclear capabilities. So we can, once again, um, have that strategic deterrence against anything China might do at a conventional or, or nuclear level. Mm -hmm. Missile defenses are still very important. Some people out there say, well, this is why China is developing this, is because of missile defenses. But, you know, every country has a right to defend itself. Um, and the United States has made great strides in terms of, of, of missile defense. And missile defense is not only for strategic weapons, it's also for you know, missiles of, of shorter of shorter range. So moving ahead with missile defenses is critically important. We also need to improve our ability to acquire and track these sort of targets, which probably means better space surveillance and tracking. Um, you know, critically important that we have that have that capability, and it's something that we haven't uh, developed the the, um, the means to yet to deal with these uh, these cutting edge um, sort of weapons. And I think we also need to pressure China directly and indirectly through friends, allies, and partners to engage in arms control talks. Um, you know, the, the Trump administration brought this up. They were saying, you know, in, in fact, with, in, a, in some of the treaties with, with Russia, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, uh, which we left under the Trump administration, one was because Russia was in material breach 
of that treaty. And the other is that China has, uh, has more missiles than, than Russia. Uh, and China was not playing, playing a role in, in arms control, especially on this issue. Um, so we need to get China involved in, in arms control. Uh, it's, it's, it's critically important, at least have an understanding of their, uh, a better understanding of, of their, when they would use weapons, their doctrine. Um, and these can, this can be gained uh, during these uh, sort of conversations and, and meetings, but the Chinese don't want to talk about it. And one of the other things uh, that I'm really concerned about is that there is a change in Chinese doctrine. Mm-hmm. For a long, long time, they, they lived, uh, had a minimal deterrent strategy. In other words, just enough weapons to be able to strike back if somebody were to, to strike them. They've, they're moving beyond that now. In fact, uh, a, a U.S. Air Force think tank said that China may have as many missiles, land-based ICBMs, as the United States in the years to come, as many land-based ICBMs as we have Minuteman missiles. Uh, and this is of concern. So as you develop greater capabilities and as you develop uh, new technologies, your doctrine might change. So we may have had an idea that China was just involved in a second strike capability, but now are they thinking about a first strike capability? In other words, trying to take out command and control complexes, nuclear weapons, uh, conventional forces first uh, before a war starts. I mean, this is of of tremendous concern. And China had always said they had a no first use policy, which would said, we will never strike first. We will only strike in response. Um, And people are wondering about that since they are developing these tremendous capabilities at sea, um, on the land, and obviously these new exotic or novel weapons, such as the uh, hypersonic glide vehicle on a fractional bombardment system, orbital bombardment system. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things to be concerned about uh, regarding uh, China's uh, nuclear, the changes in China's uh, nuclear capabilities and potentially doctrine. So you mentioned that one way to kind of curb the potential use of these weapons is some sort of uh, arms control treaty. Like, why would they agree to enter into such a treaty? What bargaining chip does the United States have? I, under the current Chinese leadership, I don't see them having any desire to do that, Mm -hmm. which is, that's why there needs to be additional international pressure from beyond the United States. I think China is on, um, not everybody agrees with me, uh, but I think China is on a path to achieving near parity or parity with the United States and Russia on these weapons before they will come to the table um, to negotiate. Maybe they won't even come to the table with that. Maybe they plan to supersede supersede us. For instance, Christian, they put in last week, interestingly, civilian researchers last summer, and you know, I wrote about this several times, um, found um, through commercial satellites, found 250 new Chinese ICBM silos. Now, China prior to that only had 20. Oh, wow. uh, And they had 100 uh, mobile uh, ICBMs. So they had 20 land-based silos. And then researchers found uh, around 250 new ones. Okay, so China um, can put in a, in, in a missile in those or not put a missile in. Maybe they're meant to um, fool us. You know, it could be one of these sort of uh, things. We don't know how many missiles are in there. Uh, we don't know if they're all full, if they're all empty, but they're building 250 new silos. So say, for instance, they fill them all, 250 new missiles. And their newest ICBM is the DF-41. Um, and that uh, missile can potentially carry five to ten uh, MIRVs, which is a multiple warhead package. In other words, in, a, in the warhead or the nose cone of the missile, there would be a number of nuclear weapons, not just one. And they can all be independently targeted. 
at different targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine that. You're t- and the United States right now has 1,550 uh, operational nuclear weapons. So if you put 250 in there and you put 5 to 10 in there, say if you put 10 in there, that's 2,500 new operational ICBMs on the Chinese side. Mm-hmm. So th- this, could, this could be a reality. I mean, China is prioritizing its military buildup. Including and, and you know conventionally and and strategically, so this is something to be concerned about. So say if China develops this capability, they exceed the U.S. capability that's currently restricted by the um, New Start Treaty with Russia, and all of a sudden they have more nuclear weapons than us. And you know what are we going to do if they say they're going to uh, change Taiwan's future um, militarily, which the United States is firmly against. There are real there are real concerns there, as you can see. Right, All right. I want to end just by going back to the the hypersonic weapon. So after sure. testing, what is the next step? Like when could they conceivably start to use these against adversaries? Well, I mean, a country has well this 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 hypersonic vehicle supposedly missed its intended target by twenty five miles. But yeah. if you, if it were nuclear capable, that doesn't mean as much, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be exacting. You know, if you were just using the vehicle itself uh, and its kinetic energy to do something, you'd probably have to hit it pretty close on. Uh, a conventional weapon would be have a bigger area it would cover, you know, a high explosive and then a nuclear weapon. So 25 miles sounds like a lot, but it depends on what it's targeting, right, and what, what its warhead is. Um, so that's obviously a concern. Now, each country does things a little bit differently. The United States tests things for a long time to make sure they're going to work. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. And it, but it also takes us a long time to field capabilities. The Chinese may or not spend as much time doing that. Mm. And they may, they may even field it while they're still testing. Mm-hmm. You can also field something and then still continue to test it and refine it. But when they field it, then they have had an impact because they will, they will have created a, a deterrent effect, um, a perception of a capability. Um, that we would have to that we would have to deal with. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to see exactly where they go with this and in what sort of numbers. Is it going to be a small number, um, or is it going to be a large number that are going to be um, fielded or or deployed? And will they they field it early and work continue to work on testing? So those are into the to see category right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Peter Brooks, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you have not done so before, please take a moment to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. And if you leave a review, we may even read that right here on the show. We love to hear your feedback and your thoughts, so please take a moment to do that. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you all on Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.